This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Absolutely delighted to announce that I'm joined on Football CFB this evening by Dan Thomas. Those of you who are big fans of ESPN FC will know Dan. He hosts the show um, seven days a week on ESPN. Has also worked at Real Madrid Television, and he's also, of course, um, been over here in the UK. That's that's where it was born and, and where he went to university as well. So, Dan, how how are you? First of all. I'm good, Callum. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. It's, it's a beautiful day here in Connecticut, so I'm sat in the garden. I've got the day off, which means I don't have to watch any rubbish internationals. So I'm in a good place. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. And in terms of um, ESPN FC, I, I, as I said to you off air, Dan, I'm a massive fan of the show. I've spoken to Craig Burley. I've I've spoken to, to Stevie Nicholl. I mean, it's it's a show that I really enjoy because you dissect the, the key moments across the globe, really, when it comes to football, but with a very unique style and lots of passionate debate. For you, what was it like when you made the move to ESPN in 2010 and, and obviously became the host of the show? It was great. So I'd been at Real Madrid TV for five years. And um, as much as I loved it there, I was, wasn't making any money. And there's only so much you can get away with working for a club channel. So my plan was to then go to uh, Sky. So I went to Sky and had a casting and they didn't like me. And I was like, OK, I'll just I'll stay in Madrid a bit longer. That's fine. And see what happens. And like within a couple of weeks, ESPN had gotten into contact with me and um, talked about the possibility of coming over. I came here for a, a casting. And then, yeah, I made the move. It was 10 years. Um, October the 1st, 2010 is when my first contract started here. And it's been brilliant. Like It's been so much fun. I started off doing what was called Press Pass at the time, which was similar to ESPN FC. And I do commentaries as well. And then when FC started in 2013, um, I became the, the full-time presenter. And in terms of um, FC, I mean, Derek Ray obviously was on the, the old press pass and he's been yep. on the show recently as well. I mentioned Craig, I mentioned Stevie. What's it like working with, with the Scottish element of, of the show? Because over here, I, so many of us just crack up at the fact and laugh at the fact that they still use Scottish words and terms and, and Stevie still goes on about cottage pie, etc. And, and for me, it just makes me laugh. It's just the typical Scot abroad. I swear I've picked up more Scottish slang than I have American since I've been here. I say I all the time. I've never said I before in my life, but hanging around with them, you just kind of pick up some of the vernacular. Uh, they're great. Like they're really, what, what I really like about them is that they are very much committed to the show. They love doing the show. They watch the games, you know, they, they're involved. They want it to be a success. And I think that's, that's a big part of why it's word because uh, they're so enthusiastic about it, but they're great company. Like, they, they tell obviously stories that they can't tell on the air, but some of them are just amazing. Like the way they used to live and the, what they got away with back in the day. Thank goodness they weren't camera phones because they, they'd be in big, big trouble. Well, that's the thing. It's some of the stories on Extra Time are, are incredible, oh. as, as we all know. But as you say, I imagine the, the, the off-air stuff's great as well. And, and just on Extra Time, Dan, 
how good is it to, to do that part of the show? Because I know the clues in the name, it's, it's an added extra, but even though it's technically an added extra, it's many people's favourite part in many ways. Yeah, I, I, I get it. And this is my favourite part to do. If people don't know, it's where we get um, get the boys to answer tweets. It's, it's as simple as that. But the, the, it just opens Pandora's boxes into stories and anecdotes and banter. And it's it's brilliant. They're, they're, some of the things that have happened in extra time uh, are quite extraordinary. And people like it because it's genuine. You know, I, I think that's the whole part. I think actually the whole show, you can say, is, is organic. But particularly extra time, it's like kicking off your shoes and just putting your feet up and just chatting with pals. That's how it kind of comes across. And in terms of um, extra time, one of the things that's that's dominated that I alluded to earlier, Stevie's diet obviously went oh to Madrid to cover the Champions League. Was he as fussy as as you guys told us he is? No, he he, he went to TGI Fridays and then he went to Burger King. Like that that that's where that's where he went for lunch both times. You know, you're in Madrid, <laughs> you could eat anything you want, and 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 that's what he went for. He's he's an animal when it comes to food. If it's not cooked by Eleanor, his wife. He doesn't really care for it. So she's gone away for three weeks and she's left like 21 frozen meals for him. All of them include mints in some way or the other. Everything has got mints in it. And yeah, this love of shepherd's pie. But it's incredible, Callum, when you talk to Stevie about his diet or the lack of when he was playing compared to what it is now. You look at the modern day players, like he'd have three pints of Coke the night before and he'd have fish and chips and all this sort of stuff. And you look at the way they played and still he was brilliant. You imagine on today's diet, how good he would have been. Well, that's the thing. You think back to, to, to the way football was then and, and the way it is now where, where players are criticised for, for very little at times. And, and I suppose you can understand that <laughs> in the sense that social media is around and there's cameras. But, but back then, as you've said, I mean, I remember speaking to Craig recently and he said when he was a young player at Chelsea, they got a voucher to go to a local kebab shop every day after training. I mean, could you could you imagine going to a local kebab shop somewhere in in, in London and, and, and seeing like Marcus Alonso or or one of the players I there? Know. You just wouldn't imagine that now. No, it's so it's so different and it's so funny as you say. Like their the diet back in the day was just light years apart. And Craig would t- say like when the Italians came over when he was at Chelsea when Zola Viali they were like what is wrong with these people? Why are they eating such horrible food and drinking so much alcohol? Uh, but, slowly, but slowly but surely it changed. But Stevie's diet has not changed in 50 years, I'm sure. And in terms of the show itself, what's it like um, when you're recording the show and you, and you go on air? Because everyone involved, Shaka Hislop, Ali Moreno, um, Sid when he's on, Gab, Jules, Don Hutchison, I could go on and on and on, of course. Everyone seems to really be up for a laugh as we see on Extra Time. So for you, what's it like going from the, the laughs and the jokes before you start to that record button being pressed? <laughs> it doesn't really make a difference. At the moment, I'm the only one in the studio and everyone else is, is remote around the world. So we're chatting away. I'm taking the mick out of Frank for something that he's wearing or shouting at Shaka for something. And then it's like five, four, three, two, welcome to the latest edition. And then you just kind of go, you just kick on. But you don't want people being too serious before because you kind of want that energy to, to come through on the show. And, and what, how would you describe the, the, the difference from what the show was pre-lockdown where you could have two or three guests in the studio with you and, and sort of bounce off each other face-to-face 
compared to now where it's 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 virtual as many TV shows are now. Yeah, it's it was tricky at first because you had a situation where you were talking over each other and you were just learning with the delay of all the, the technology. But we've kind of adapted pretty well with it now. And we just kind of have, I just kind of sit there and have a conveyor belt of people coming through. And what has helped is that we can now assign people specific matches, right? So you're watching this game, you're watching that game, you're watching the other game, as opposed to when everyone was on the couch and everyone's trying to keep an eye on every single match that's going on, which is tricky for them. So if you're just focusing on one match and I'm, you come on and you talk to me about that game, I think you get better insight than you did when they were trying to watch 10 matches at the same time and in terms of being in the studio yourself as you've said has that been nice to adapt to in the sense that it's quite quiet and you're not having having people constantly having a laugh and a joke with you sometimes at your expense or is it something that's that was nice at first but maybe now you're you're wanting to get the, the guys back as soon as possible well it was great at first, because for the two months of the lockdown, I was doing the show out of my basement, which was just a nightmare for so many different reasons. The main one being my six-year-old, who's a pain in the butt, and just trying to keep him quiet while we're doing all the different segments. So it was nice to have that escape then to go into Bristol, which is like 20 minutes away from here, uh, to the main studio and just kind of have like, right, I'm, I'm at work now. I don't have to worry about children coming down the stairs or skateboards or making loud noises on the drums or something. Uh, so th that was nice, but yeah, of course you kind of you kind of miss the chat with everyone beforehand and that kind of the the banter that you have. But you know we've made it work, and, and it's kind of continued pretty seamlessly overall. I think um, like the team behind the scenes just done an amazing job, and they have to do a lot more work now than what they used to do because we're doing it out of a different studio, and they have to edit everything. And it's it's a I go in Swan in for a couple of hours and come back again. I've got the easy job. They they really have to have to work hard to, to get it on the air. Well, I can, as you say, I can imagine that the the workload um, for them has has definitely increased because of the the different technicalities that that come when you've got so many people in different locations as opposed to to maybe just one or two. And and I, again, another element of the show that that I genuinely love is the fact that debate on the show it doesn't come across to me as manufactured. And and what I like about it is use the host and whoever's producing the show let the debate flow and for instance gab versus craig on expected goals i don't imagine <laughs> you would see that debate on many other tv shows you'd probably get a producer or a host trying to wrap it up but an espn fc anything goes and, and you'd happily let it go on and that's good and i think you you, you made a good point there it's not forced we don't say right at the start right you're going to go for messi you're going to go for ronaldo and then we'll have this great big debate and it'll be awesome because you know, viewers aren't stupid. They know you, your feelings about things and they know when you're being disingenuous. Uh, so nobody takes it personally when we have these debates, Stevie shouting at Craig or uh, shouting at me or whatever. No one takes it personally, which is good. And I think as a host, I try and let it flow as much as possible because, you know, my job is just to kind of bookend the program. So the more talking they do, the better it is as a product. Absolutely, and and I think that's that's really what makes the show. And and, and crucially, we've talked about the fact ESPN FC it's based in in the US. For you, did you ever anticipate yourself moving to the US and living there? And and what's life <laughs> no. like? No, not at all. Like I said, so my plan, my plan was like when I was young, if I'd have like written it up, it would be right, go local TV and then national TV, and then, then Sky, and then I'd present Match of the Day. That was probably, that was kind of like my timeline. 
And then obviously um, Real Madrid came up and that was an amazing opportunity and I had a brilliant five years then. And then, as I say, I went to Sky, they were like, oh, you're terrible. And I was like, okay. And then ESPN were like, well, you're not that terrible. We'll give you a go. You seem cheap. And then, like, then it's, been, it's been such a good move and I'm not looking to move on anywhere, like be it in America or beyond, because the show that we have is just just so much fun to do. The bosses are excellent. They kind of let you get on with it, which is nice to have that kind of freedom. And the lifestyle here, my wife's happy here. My, I have two children here who were born here, um, who very much, uh, very, you know, they're American, that's it. <laughs> they, they have American accents, so they don't know any different. And it's like, it's like middle-class suburbia. I can see a white picket fence now. It kind of, it lives up to all those expectations. And my eldest son, um, who lives in England still, and he's just started university and he comes over as well and he, he kind of loves that experience. So um, overall, yeah, we're very happy here. And in terms of the lifestyle, um, the guys in the show normally talk about playing golf quite a lot. Is that something you partake in as well? Oh, man. Yeah, they play golf every day. And I played with them for a bit, but they're just too good and it's just too depressing. <laughs> and I am terrible at golf. And even worse at putting, and it just it just gets into my head, and the whole experience uh, turns out to be not a, an enjoyable one for me whatsoever. But yeah, they, Craig has played like 130 rounds, I think, this year um, already. He loves it, and he's like so nice on the golf course. He's like Mr. Sunshine, Mr. Friendly. And then he comes to work, and he's just grumpy. <laughs> I would love to see that absolutely. And and another part of your career, you've mentioned it a few times, and I mentioned it in the intro. You worked for Real Madrid Television. How did that move come mm. about from, from the UK to Real Madrid Television? And what was it like when you were out there? Because I wow. imagine covering Real Madrid is an absolute pleasure when you consider how massive the club is. Yeah, it was just ridiculous. The whole thing was, yeah, ridiculous is a good way to describe it. Basically, the Guardian, I don't know if it still does, on Mondays used to advertise um, media jobs. And there was a job there that was going looking for a TV presenter to go to Spain and at this time um, I'd, I'd been I'd done some presenting like I worked at local TV and then I was doing some writing little bits and pieces but I was going to castings I mean I did a casting for QVC which I was terrible bid up TV when that was on awful I just put in terrible auditions for that and this one came up um so I had to go to London. It was the day after, I reckon, the um, Champions League final when Liverpool made the comeback. So you had to um, describe that game. They gave you a script that you had to read. And um, fortunately, like a few weeks later, I got a call and they said, they said, come over. And I was like, wow, this is, uh, this is amazing. Um, so I was living with a girl at the time. I was like, yeah, definitely. I'll come back. I'll see you every week. Now that lasted like two weeks. That was over. Um, I still flew back every month to, to see my son. Uh, who was living in Manchester at the time. And, and then for those five years, I came in. I was the play-by-play -play guy, so I'd do every game at the Bernabeu. And this was Galactico era. This was Beckham, Roberto Carlos, Ronaldo, Michael Owen, Luis Figo, Zinedine Zidane, Ike Casillas, Raul. Goodness me, just saying those names now, you just kind of forget how many stars there were um, in that team. And so I went over to Madrid, didn't speak a word of Spanish, and there were six, six of us, six presenters that basically were all thrown in uh, to launch this new channel. And it was, it was so much fun. No one really knew what they were doing. Uh, you know, you'd go on. I went to Russia with the team. 
Uh, I went to when they were in Ireland for the pre-season. Went to Spain, went to Spain, obviously in Germany as well. And it was, I was 25. I was 25, living in Madrid, talking about Real Madrid every day. It it was sensational. It was it was as good as you would expect it to be. And in terms of the lifestyle, you you've joked in the show many times with Sid Lowe, a good friend of yours, about the sort of parties and and the the way life was out there. Just how good was that at that age, 25, to really enjoy it? Oh my goodness, it was fantastic. And like I was there for five years, and my Spanish is awful, so terrible, so embarrassing. You have I had to lie how long I'd been there, like after a couple of years, because you could you there was no way of justifying how bad my Spanish was because I would just go to Irish bars in Madrid, basically. Um, but the lifestyle was like it, it for someone at that age to be doing what I was doing and living where I was, it just ticked every single box. You know, it was, it was brilliant. And I met my, my girlfriend, my now my wife there as well. Fortunately, she was fluent in English. Uh, so that was good. Although it didn't help me at all learning any, any more Spanish. Um, if you, if you get the chance, obviously go to Spain when everything calms down and the lockdown is eased, then, then do it, go to Madrid, go to Barcelona because the lifestyle and the food and the people and, and the late, late nights and early mornings are, yeah, something to behold. In terms of your time there, you, you interviewed some of the real high-profile names, David Beckham, Kaká, Ronaldo. I mean, just what was it like working with those type of players? Not great. Not not as exciting as you, you think it would be. And I'm not being blasé about that. But you're kind of like, oh, wow, today I'm going to meet David Beckham. This is brilliant. This is amazing. And it is good and, it, and, it, and it's exciting. But it's not something I miss because there's a lot of hanging around. You got and then then they cancel, you postpone, or you could come back and do all this sort of stuff. And it's not a part of it that I miss. Like obviously, we don't do that many player interviews on the show, and it's something I don't particularly miss because they wouldn't really say anything. I'd much prefer to speak to an ex-footballer like the boys that we have on and listen to their stories and anecdotes and opinions. Because footballers overall in interviews are, are pretty dull. Well, as you say, with the, with the current players, it can be hard at times because. They've got a, a, a sort of image to protect with their current club manager, maybe even former managers that they're not comfortable talking about. Then when they retire, as you see with the guys you've got, that that changes. You you were involved in the the presentation of Cristiano Ronaldo when he moves from Manchester United to Real Madrid. What's that experience like when when there's a big presentation? Because in Spain you see it with Madrid, you see it with Barcelona. They're massive occasions, or obviously they were massive occasions when when people could go and watch them. Yeah, they were an event in, in themselves. You'd have 80,000 people in the Bernabeu all there to welcome Cristiano Ronaldo. And we do the special TV shows, uh, kind of building up to it, and then the interview and, and all that sort of stuff. But it's it's strange. It's quite unique to... Well, it's certainly something you don't see in the Premier League very often. You get the player on the pitch with a scarf above his head with the manager, and that's kind of it. Obviously, social media is changing that slightly and the, the presentation's uh, a little more complex, but... In Madrid and in Barcelona, these are real events. These are people taking time off work to go to the stadium uh, to welcome the new players. So it's very like you obviously have someone like uh, Ronaldo who comes and it's a big thing. I remember we got Julian Faubert from West Ham on loan. And I think maybe a couple of people turned up. And that was maybe his wife (laughs) was one of them. (laughs) And, and it's, it's even you get a player like that, you mentioned Julian Fulbert. I mean, he was actually on trial at St Johnston in Scotland, which sums up the complexity wow. of, of his wow. career. Just what's it like when, when a signing like that comes in? I mean, you're used to the big 
the big occasion? Is it one of those things when someone like him maybe says, is it always quite quiet when a player comes in and you've got to sort of lie <laughs> and say, yeah, oh, it's, it's never busy, Julian, it's fine? Yeah, it's all right. Don't worry about it. I think my I interviewed him. My phone went off. I remember in the middle of the interview, no one cared. It was just it was, it was that was a really strange signing. He was terrible and most famous in Madrid for falling asleep on the bench during a match. And so that's kind of that was his lasting impression. Uh, but it's, it's interesting. You know, like yeah, different players got different uh, different ovations. Yeah, Faubert was certainly I think at the bottom, but very bottom of the pile. Cristiano Ronaldo at the top with um, Kaká as well. When Kaká came, that was a massive deal. Uh, because Real Madrid had been chasing him for a, for a while, and when they eventually got him, yeah, that was that was quite the presentation as well. And in terms of the difference between working for a club channel like Real Madrid TV and ESPN, where you are now, is it the the is the main difference the message that has to get out there? Because obviously, if you're working for a club channel, I imagine obviously it's it's the idea of sticking to the script because you want to keep the the, the positive image of the club there at all times, regardless of what's going on. Yeah, most definitely. Um, for ESPN, you can be as subjective as you like. With Real Madrid, we were quite good, mainly because some of the big bosses didn't really speak English, so we could get away with stuff. Um, we certainly pushed the boundaries more than the Spanish version did, and we were conscious that we were less propagandary. But inevitably, if you work for a, for a club channel, and what was lucky when I was there is that Real Madrid were doing well. They won the titles under Bern Schuster and Fabio Capello. So that was excellent. You know, when they're, when they're successful, it's good. When when they're not doing well, that's tough because obviously you're stuck trying to put positive spins on heavy defeats. That's that's really tricky to do. I can imagine that's the, the trickiest thing as a presenter. And and I, I think this as well, when there's, there's club channels that have phone-ins, et cetera, you think it, it must be very difficult. Um, yes, yeah. And, and, and when you think about it that way and, and just based on you Dan in terms of football I'm sure Craig and a few others may listen to this what were you like as a footballer did you ever have a chance of making it to any level oh god no I was terrible really bad that's how I got into broadcasting because I love football but I was really bad at it so it was like the next step it was like the next best thing right if I can't play it well I should be telling other people how they should be playing it and that was kind of my motivation like throughout the stages of my career it was the case of like, right, okay, this is <laughs> this is the next best thing. Because everyone dreams of being a footballer, but I knew early on that there was absolutely no way uh, it was going to happen. Uh, Corn- Cornish people aren't very good at football in general. We haven't really bred any any Cornish football stars ever, I don't think. So I'm going to blame my heritage as opposed to my lack of skill. And in terms of your heroes, who were the players when you were growing up as a kid that you really aspired to be like? John Barnes. John Barnes is my absolute hero. It just I would re-watch videos of him. Um, I was love Liverpool when I was growing up. So it was, yeah, no, no doubt. John Barnes is my absolute hero. And in terms of covering football and hosting it throughout the years, who have been your favourite players to watch? And they might not necessarily be your Messi's Ronaldo's. Who are the players that for whatever reason have just stood out for you when, when you've been anchoring football and 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 doing the play by play commentary? So in, when I was at Real Madrid, um, Guti was just ridiculous because he would be, have terrible games and go missing and then all of a sudden just do something that you would never, never see anybody capable of doing on, on a football pitch. Guti was always someone uh, that I loved to watch. Robinho, when he first came to Real Madrid as well, there was so much hype about this guy. It was incredible. He came over from Santos. Yeah, he was supposed to be the next Pele. You know, we've heard that, of course, before. And when he, when he was good, he was very, very good. I love watching Robinho. And then in the Premier League, um, when I used to work um, 
for Southampton. Um, I always look forward to Arsenal coming because uh, Thierry Henry. When, when Thierry Henry came, it was a different level. He was absolutely world-class. When he was at his best for Arsenal, he was an absolute joy to watch. And in terms of um, working with, with fellow co-commentators and, and pundits, if you had to select a five-a-side team from everyone you've worked <laughs> with, who gets in it? All <laughs> oh, right. So what my goalies options? I've got Shaka or Casey. Uh, so I'll go go Shaka in goal. Stevie, obviously, in defence. Um, that's a no-brainer. I've had Jurgen Klinsmann on the show a couple of times over recent weeks. I was like, can I put Jurgen? I'm definitely going to put Jurgen in. LeBuff at the back with Nickel. Burley in midfield, uh, Klinsman, Klinsman up front with uh, with Ali up front. I think that 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 would do quite nicely for our little FC team. I think it would absolutely. And and in terms of um, the show and the journalists that come on the show, I mean, Gab and Jules are two that that are, are very popular um, on the show. They're now doing their own show together as well. What's it like when the guys come on, like Frank, I suppose, as well, Don, who are, in, are not in the US? What's it like when, when you're working with the guys further afield, as well, of course? It's funny, like, take someone for, like, Don, for example. We've had Danny Higginbottom on as well. Because of the nature of the show, I think at first they're a little taken aback because, like, if Danny goes on Sky Sports News, it's all very serious to take us through the formation, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, he comes on our show, and like, Danny, why have you got a guitar in the background? We don't even play a guitar. You know, so it's, it's that sort of difference. And I think at first, um, it takes them a little while to adapt. But then someone like Frank, who, who's, who's come in, you think English isn't his first language. But this is a guy who's won the World Cup. He's been there. He's done it. And he's such, so much fun. And he's kind of got into the, the spirit of the show a lot more, I feel. I think the lockdown certainly helped with that as well. And some of the anecdotes the boys come up with. And I think it's just the case of treating everybody the same. And I think that's what the boys appreciate. If you make a stupid point, I'm going to pick you up on that stupid point. I won't just do it for effect and I won't pick on one person, not the other. And I think that's what people like. It's just, down, it's just like being down the pub, isn't it? That's it. It's like being down the pub with your mates talking about football. And I'm just the one who kind of stirs the pot. And it's something that, that I have to say you do very well because, as I say, the debates that stem in the show are fantastic. And we've talked about some of the, the ways the guys come across. We've talked about Stevie and his fussiness, Craig and his grumpiness. <laughs> does, does Shaka yeah. really take as many holidays as you let on? Oh, <laughs> mate, Shaka is the most relaxed guy you'll ever meet. He's, he's, <laughs> he's so chill all the time, just about everything. And you could ask him to do anything and, and he would do it for you. The holidays have dried up of late, actually. He hasn't he hasn't been off as much. But yeah, there was a time that he could always wangle the holiday, but it wouldn't really count as holiday time because somehow he'll justify that he'd be working. Uh, <laughs> but Shaq, Shaq is another one, just an absolute top guy. And the the bosses at ESPN did a good job kind of recruiting the right sort of people for the tone of the show. And Shaka's laugh's ridiculous. Like Shaka on Extra Time is just a perfect laugh track because he just makes you feel like the funniest guy in the world. <laughs> And in terms of, of the show, it's clearly going from strength to strength. You mentioned the fact you're enjoying life in America. Having spoken to Craig recently, he's he's loving life out there as well. Is is the, the next step, well, I say next step, is, is the future of the show just to continue building upon it? I mean, it's seven days per week and it's, and it's incredibly popular each day. I mean, during the lockdown when there was hardly any live football to talk about for a while, the show was still going strong. I know. Oh, my God. It was still going on. It was like, what happened in this day in 1973? Well, this happened. You're like, we, we were like everyone struggling for content, but we were really happy that we could provide fresh content. 
And what was really nice during the lockdown is that a lot of people reached out to me and said, thank you for still doing the show because it's a semblance of normality in like this crazy world. So that was a, a, a nice thing to be able to do. Uh, overall, with the show going forward, like ESPN, just we have a lot of rights now in the US. We've acquired the German League uh, just this season. We've got the Italian League as well. We've got the FA Cup. We've got the Championship. Um, and it's just it's just keeping it fresh regards to with talent, with discussion uh, and just being aware of of where people's interests are. So it's funny, isn't it? We'll probably talk about Everton a little bit more than we did last season, given the start that they've made and, and the signings that they acquired. And I think it's just kind of been uh, aware of that and just keeping fresh people coming through. Obviously, we've kind of got our main stable of talent and just, you know, occasionally, obviously Don's joined the team over last year. I mentioned Klinsman as well. Frank LaBeouf is more involved. And it's just nice, nice to have, obviously, different elements to it. Last question for you, Dan. You, you started, obviously, you worked at Southampton. You worked for, for BBC Local Radio. Yeah. You went to Spain. You're now in the US. It's, it's been a career that's taken you across the globe. What advice would you give to, to any aspiring writer or broadcaster based on the journey you've had in your career so far? It's all about, it's all about experience. And, and it's so nepotistic, this industry. It's getting to know everybody within it and to make sure that they know that you're the right person if they want it. It's strange, isn't it? Like, you look back as my career started basically when I was 21 out of uni. Like, I went to uni, I did journalism, and then I just kind of didn't. I worked for Ladbrokes, and there was nothing going on. I was sending my CV out and getting nothing. So I thought, oh, you know, I, I work at the Daily Echo, which was the um, local newspaper in Southampton. And... There was no reporting jobs, there's no nothing. So you had to go into set. So I got a job in sales to sell like classified um, adverts. My aim was obviously to be in the building of the Daily Echo and then kind of sneak my way stealthily through to reporters somehow. I don't know how that was actually ever going to work. But that was supposed to, I was supposed to start that on the Monday. This was like, this was in January, I remember. And on the Friday before, I had a phone call from the local TV station saying, um, uh, Lisa Slade, who, who used to work there, who I went to university with, um, says that uh, you could be the right man for the job here because she's leaving and she's recommended you. And I took that job and that kind of kick-started my, my TV career. And it's incredible because like two, two days later, I'd have been selling classifieds in the, in the Daily Echo and who knows where that would have gone. The reason that I'm telling this story is the fact that it's who you know in this industry and you've just got to make sure that when people get to know you, don't be a dick, you know? Be 100% committed to what you're doing. If you're making the tea and coffee at BBC, like I did when I was 15, make the tea and coffee the best that you can. You know, whatever job you're assigned to do, make sure you complete it to the best of your ability because it will slowly but surely open doors for you. And to re-emphasize as well, don't be an idiot. When we were looking for new presenters in Madrid, I was involved in the casting of them. And this one guy came over from England and he didn't get the job. And he wrote a really arsy email to us saying, I was clearly the right man for the job. I don't think there even was a job. Um, I think you should refund my plane ticket. And it's like, what are you getting out of that? What if you were the second one for the job and then she leaves and then we could come to you and then offer you this? Why are you doing that? So be very careful the way you act, be careful on social media and all that sort of stuff, because that can come and bite you in the butt, um, particularly now. But it's all about getting experience and it's all about getting to know people, which I know is just, it's kind of a bit of a, 
a bit of a cliche, but it's one that I can vouch for in the fact that it worked for me. Brilliant. I have to say, Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Continue your, your work on ESPN and, 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 and how can we follow you on Twitter and socials as well? Um, at, um, at, no, that's a good at Dan Thomas ESPN on Twitter. Um, I will just ask you for questions every day. That's pretty much the standard for Twitter. And I think at Dan Thomas ESPN on Instagram as well. My MySpace page is down at the moment. I'm updating it, but um, I'll let you know that at some stage. Brilliant, Dan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, no problem, mate. No problem at all. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make her home in